0: Charles is on his way up. Charles has got a very interesting message for a good, uh, a good Sunday. I think he's got something important to tell us, as he always does. Yeah, don't, don't mess it up. I've set you up big now. So, All right, let's welcome Charles. Hey. Hey, I'm really glad to see you here. It's just really a meaningful time to be together to worship on 15th anniversary of 9-11. Uh, Did you guys know this was used as a uh, first response station right after the 9-11? Because it was just so close. It's such a a powerful place to be here together on such a historic day. So could we just spend a moment to pray? Would that be all right? God, uh, we just uh, turn to you. We ask for your presence as we remember that traumatic day. No matter how deep the wounds are, you are able to heal. You are the God of the resurrection. So we pray that you would bring healing and peace to our city, to the people here that were here and was hurt and wounded. We pray for your peace and restoration. And we pray for peace in this world, that your presence and your way will be spread more and more. And that we will have a better way of life. We turn to you on this day. And we ask for restoration and your presence in Jesus' name. Amen. amen. Thanks for that. Doesn't it feel good to pray? It's God's presence always makes everything better, I feel. And on a day like today, I can't help but think about... How different people from different cultures and different history and different convictions can come to such different mindsets and worldviews. Right? I mean, those terrorists who flew the planes into World Trade Centers, they did it in the name of God. They gave their lives. There is so much conviction. And righteousness. They felt that they were dying for the cause of holiness and for godliness. And they all did this terrible thing, so certain that God would reward them and they would end up in heaven. Doesn't that, I mean, I just, it's hard to wrap your mind around it, doesn't it? On a day like today, it always makes me think, wow. People can come to really different ways of looking at things, interpreting things, and it can end up in like just incredibly different places, right? It's amazing. Even in our own country, I mean, let alone between America and the Middle East, even in our own country, there are deep divisions today, don't you think? And different people think very differently. This presidential election, <laughs> it, it just is uncovering this, this deep division. I mean, I thought last election, seeing an African-American being elected, I thought that was two elections ago. I thought that was the election of my lifetime. I thought I would never see anything that could top this. I think I was wrong. <laughs> This one coming up may top that, right? It's not just that we have a woman for the first time. So that's as historical, right? We have a woman for the first time. But what Trump has brought to the table, wow, right? I mean, this one is going to shape America for years to come. This is a very important election coming up. And it is just so amazing how different camps look at things and process things and come to conclusions in a polar opposite ways. Right? Both candidates are highly disliked. More than half the country dislike both of them. This is unprecedented. This has never happened before. And obviously, many, many Republicans just cannot stand Hillary. And Democrats just loathe Trump. Right? That's where this is coming from. Between the blue states and the red states, between MSNBC and Fox News, you just look at how they interpret the events, and you look at the talking heads, whether you're a Trump supporter or Hillary supporter, and how they spin everything that's coming out. It's just like these are two different universes, right? This is not, we're not living in the same reality, how people are processing things, right? Just deep divisions. And that makes life difficult. I mean, even in personal life. Do you guys have any friends or family or colleagues who are of the other party? (laughs) Anyone? Probably most of us have people. You know, if you're from the South and now you're living in New York City or something, you probably... So, you talk to them, right? Do you talk to them about these things? Does this come up? No? No? You don't want to... I mean, you just don't... It's, some, it's a bad idea, right? It's a bad, why is it a bad idea? Because it's just so tricky, right? It never goes anywhere good. Never goes anywhere good. It always brings up only trouble and relational tension and... And you love them, but then at the end of the conversation, you're not sure. <laughs> and you don't want to be in that space because you, you, are, you, know, you love them. And so you, don't, you just look away, look away, you know, carry on, right? It's tricky, but it's a very important part of our lives, these things that we believe in, how we interpret things. If we just say, okay, we're just gonna, I'm going to think that way, you think that way, it's fine. Well, that's how these divisions just keep on getting deeper and deeper and terrible things can happen in the end. And so how do we navigate this? How do we, how do we like, deal with these tricky, tricky things? Well, one thing that can help is this stage theory that we've been talking about the last few weeks in this sermon series, Stages of Life. I think that can help a lot. So let me just briefly recap this theory. It's just a theory. It's not the truth. But like Peter said last week, it can really help us understand human psychology. And that can really help with spiritual development, relationships. It's helpful, right? So let me just very briefly recap. Stage one is that selfish criminal stage like toddlers. You just do whatever you want to do no matter who gets hurt. Sort of criminal stage. And people can get stuck in that stage. We can all think of people like that, right? Stage two is more into rules and law and order, boundaries. Military and churches are really into stage two. Stage three is a reaction to rules. You want to rebel. You are into innovation, progress, authenticity, creativity. You question things. Okay? Very brief recap. Last week, Peter talked about stage one and two and their interaction. Today, I want to focus on stage two and three interactions because, you know, this blue state, red state thing, Republican, Democratic thing, it can only be understood as a conflict between stage two and three. Now, which of the two parties do you think is into stage two, law and order, respect? What do you think? Hmm? yes republicans very clear right red state and here in the city in the blue stage we're more into stage three that's why democrats are firmly in control here it'll be very surprising if 80 percent or more didn't vote for democrats here right And so it's dominated by Democrats, and that explains it. Now, stage two and three each has its pros and cons. It's good to be creative, but it's also good to have law and order, don't you think? We need both. However, these two stages have a really hard time understanding each other or coming to some kind of... uh, compromise, or ability to even understand where the other camp is coming from. And that can lead to a lot of hostility, judgment, and contempt, and gridlock. And that's why I think perhaps the most important biblical passage for this presidential season, election season, may be from the Romans chapter 14. I preached on this before, a while ago, but I think it's worth a reminder, revisiting it, because it's so appropriate for this season. It's so apropos. Because the conflict between stage 2 and 3 had been present for a long time. It was present even in biblical times in Rome, in the churches at Rome, which this passage addresses. There were two camps back then, very much like today. And they were divided over the issues of idolatry and Sabbath. Kind of like how we, in this country, we have divisions, sharp divisions over issues like abortion and LGBT rights. They too had their passionate issues, and they ended up being very confrontational and divisive. And it became such a big issue that it made it into the Bible, you know, in terms of how to handle stuff like that. And they were very passionate about idolatry and Sabbath because they were on Ten Commandments. Now, number two and number four on the list of Ten Commandments. So you really can't get bigger than that, right? Very big issues for people of faith. In Rome at the time, the meat was produced at a pagan temple dedicated to some false god like Venus or god of Oji. And the meat would be produced by bringing a cow or something like that into the temple, and these priests would like do their thing and chant and do magical things, cut themselves up and invite the, the blessing and power of that demon into the meat so that everyone who eats this meat would be infused and blessed by this false god. So today it would be like seeing meat on a Whole Foods with advertising label like Blessed by the God of Oji. 100% guaranteed. Money back if you don't get empowered this very week. Something like that, right? Now, so as a faithful Christian, how would you feel about buying that meat? Financially supporting the practice of idolatry. That doesn't feel good, right? I mean, how do you feel? You know, hey kids, let's eat dinner. Hey, this week, it's the God of Orgy. Let's eat this meat infused with demon power and see what happens. I mean, that just feels, oh my God, how can you do that as a faithful Christian, right? And, and, And Sabbath was the defining practice for the people of faith at the time. Sabbath was big deal, huge deal. Ten commandments. And Jewish Christians felt you know, these were very important issues, but the Roman Christians, Christians who became came to faith from Roman background, they just didn't see it the same way as the Jewish Christians. They were into biblical principles like Christ came to set us free from the law. A demon power has no effect against Christ's blood on me. Sabbath, you know, the law is made sabbath was made for man you know these are important principles what's important is loving god and loving people these are these are not that important so you know i'm just gonna do what i want to do and then the jewish christians were like scandalized by this how can you call yourself a faithful christian a faithful person of god and break really nearly the laws in the bible if you can If you can break Ten Commandments, what's left? It's loosey-goosey, slippery slope down to hell. How can you stand above the Bible and pick and choose whatever you want to do and do that with Ten Commandments? That's scandalous. You guys are not people of faith. You're not biblical. We stand on the Bible. And they just had a huge conflict. Can you understand this? Their worldviews and convictions were worlds apart. And this is what the Bible says about how to handle such controversies and divisions. Romans chapter 14. Except the one whose faith is weak without quarreling over disputable matters. One person's faith allows them to eat anything like meat infused with demon power. Just eat it, whatever. But another whose faith is weak eats only vegetables. The one who eats everything must not treat with contempt the one who does not. And the one who does not eat everything must not judge the one who does. For God has accepted them. One person considers one day more sacred than another. Sabbath is a sacred day. God said it apart. Seventh day is sacred. Another considers every day alike. No special treatment for Sabbath. Every day is the same. Therefore, let us stop passing judgment on one another. Whatever you believe about these things, keep between yourself and God. Blessed is the one who does not condemn himself by what He approves. The passage tells us these divisive issues that arouse such passions, it's disputable matters, the debatable things. And if, and I propose to you, if number two and number four on Ten Commandments is disputable matter, then pretty much every controversial topic that we are so passionate about is probably a disputable matter, right? By definition, if you have respectable, thoughtful Christian leaders on both sides of the issue, it's probably a disputable matter. Now, this does not mean anything goes. I'm not trying to say everything is disputable matters or just do whatever you are. That's not what I'm trying to say. God is love. The greatest commandment, which is to love, is not a disputable matter. It's not under negotiation. And uh, the historic creeds, like Apostles' Creed that define Christian faith, we are Christian church, here, those are not negotiable and disputable. But so many other things that people fight over that seem to be just so passionate about we need to really listen to this passage. Because to live in the same country and to be in the same church like ours, I mean, just look around. This is a very diverse church, yes? We don't have just one color here. We don't have just one background here. Just like the churches in Rome that have Jewish background and Roman background, we have various backgrounds here. And to preserve this community and this sacred space where we can connect to God, we need to really listen to this passage. Paul lays down three rules, three commands. First, he says, the one who eats everything must not treat with contempt the one who does not. This is the temptation of stage three, contempt. Contempt comes out of stage three like White on rice, you know? Bill Maher, have you ever seen him? You know, every word is basically infused with contempt, right? That's his shtick, you know? Oh, you stupid people, you stupid Bible Belt people. You're being conned by Trump and you don't even know it. That's just basically his shtick. That is stage three, contempt, on the other side, temptation of the conservative is to judge. The one who does not eat everything must not judge. And there is so much judgment from the conservative side, right? Many Christian leaders are so quick to jump to judgment, especially when there is like a hurricane, right? America is no longer following God. We are being punished, You know, we have slipped down from the glory days of Christian nation. We are no longer following godly ways. This is just adding insult to injury. I mean, seriously, slavery was better. Segregation was better. Those were better days. Those were godly days. In the eyes of God, America was more righteous with millions of people being taken from africa one third of them dying on the ocean in you know, just unbelievable conditions that that was good days godly days i don't think so god just had grace on us god just god just operates with grace you know so we must not judge he says Whatever you believe about these things, keep between yourself and God. It's okay to believe those things. Yeah, sure. Fine. But keep it to yourself. Keep it to yourself. What, what a powerful verse. I like that one. If you have any complaint about me, just keep it to yourself. <laughs> Love this Bible verse. Listen to what comes next. Blessed is the one who does not condemn himself by what he approves. And that's such a powerful verse because we are tempted to think Christians' job is to morally approve or disapprove whatever is going on within ourselves or people around us. And this verse tells us that's a one-way ticket to condemnation. That's the way to hell. Wow. Wow. As a pastor, this is really convicting. It's really easy to see my job was, as a spiritual leader to be all about telling you what to approve, what not to approve. Here's the line. You know, this is what you should do as a Christian, and this is what you shouldn't do. And we, we tend to think of it as like this, this religious institution. Their job is to tell us where the lines are. But that is not the way of Christ. Jesus, Jesus didn't do that. Jesus poured out encouragement and love on everyone, especially the sinners and prostitutes and the bad people. And he was only very harsh against those who were judgmental and contemptuous. He drew the line against them. But everyone else, he was so gracious, don't you think? So that, that tells us what we stand for, what we stand against, what we are striving for and against is on a different axis than morality. I am not saying anything goes. We have to stand up for things. We live by convictions as Christians. We give our lives for our convictions. But it's on a different axis than morality. We live for love. We live for connection. We live for the living God. So my job as a pastor is to help every one of you to connect with the living God for yourself and for God to lead you into life in all its fullness as opposed to me being this moral person telling you to keep to some kind of morality that's dependent upon my stage and our culture. So Amen? Amen? Sounds good? Yes. That's why this church exists. I like it. Yes. You know, I just love this church. You know, it's a wonderful thing to be in a community that's going for something like this. Gives life to everyone. I love it. So, let me throw out some practical suggestions on how to follow the way of Christ in today's divided culture so that we can be the light and the salt and be different from how everyone else reacts to these controversies and divisions. Okay, sounds good? Okay, my first practical suggestion is be more aware of how your stage affects the truth you see. We need to really acknowledge that all the truths we see are affected by the primary stage we tend to be in. If you're stage one, I mean, you're going to be a criminal. <laughs> Look at things that way. You know, if you're a Republican in Texas, you're going to be like, the truth will seem so obvious to you, and it's the elite media, liberal elite media that's fooling everyone. And it's so obvious and it's hard to understand how people can't see the con that's going on. And of course, if you're Bill Maher, it's just completely flipped, right? To the Jewish Christians in the Roman time, at the time of this passage, it was so clear that you don't want to get tangled up in idolatry and Sabbath. Ten Commandments, how can it be any more clear? Just don't do it. Why even risk it? Follow the Bible. Isn't that what we are supposed to do here? It was so clear. Paul calls that weak faith. Did you see that? Weak faith. They did not understand that it was their stage two speaking, and so they just judged away, thinking that was what pleases God. And the Roman, and Christians, Roman Christians, it was so clear Christ gave us freedom from rules like Sabbath. So they had contempt for the Jewish Christians who were stuck with rules that don't serve anyone. They found that backwards. It's the stage three culture, but it feels so good to be contemptuous when you're in stage three. It just feels so good. I mean, admit it. Many of you that I hear, doesn't it feel good to kind of put people down, make fun of them, and kind of go, ah, you know? Feels good, satisfying, doesn't it? admit it. Now, Paul calls that strong. And so he sides with them on the issue itself. But that's not the important issue. There is an even bigger issue which is love being right is just so much less important than loving that stage 3 and being right it's just as deadly and sinful to be contemptuous like that so being more aware of how we are affected by our stage is a big part of what it means to be humble before God It's a big part of what it means to not eat from the fruit of the knowledge of good and evil and end up judging and being judged. We need to be humble before God or we will condemn ourselves as the passage concludes. And notice, it's a condemnation done by the self. It's a self-generated condemnation. If we stick to our stage and refuse to acknowledge bigger perspectives, then our world will get smaller and smaller. Because we, get, we, feel, we feel so right in our little own self-generated world where the terms are generated by us. And of course, that's why we feel so right. And it just becomes smaller and smaller. It's a self-generated damnation. You get cut off from bigger realities. The reality of God. So we need to be more aware of the stage we operate in so that we can watch out against our tendencies. Now there are going to be some tips on this on River app. You know, you guys have River apps? It's a great app. Just download it. Whatever you got to lose. Put it on a folder. And we give you daily suggestions after the sermon for, you know, throughout the week. There will be some tips on this, on how to kind of identify the primary stage you are in. So take a look. Check it out. It's always good to uh, be more aware. And I know that all human beings like to kind of think about themselves, so this should be popular. Think about yourself. Check it out. And then, be soft-hearted about it. Don't become hard stage two or hard stage three. This is a good term to remember. It's okay to have all these stages in us, but you need to be soft about it. You need to be soft stage. If you're stage one, being hard stage one is a very bad idea. You know? That's like just, I don't care. I'm just going to be a criminal all my life. It works for me. And that will not be good. <laughs> You need to be soft stage one. You need to like get help, move forward, you know, go to military or something and like be willing to move out of your stage. That's the difference between soft and hard. You are willing to move out of your stage for a bigger cause. Hard stage two, that's bad. You know, churches can attract a lot of hard stage twos. Because, you know, it's God's rules and it's very attractive to stage twos that want order and structure. And I tell you, 40 years ago, 40, 50 years ago when guitar started coming into worship music, it was unbelievable. It was called devil's music. I mean, most, do anybody remember that? Oh my. You know, all the burning of cassette tapes. All the, like, if you are Christian, you know, when I was in college, this happened. If you're Christian, you burn all your CDs and cassette tapes because guitar is of the devil. You know, rock music is of the devil. Now, now every church uses rock music. <laughs> I mean, I, I just, I'm just flabbergasted about that. You know, that's hard stage two. Do you see that? That just... That's just not understanding that rules are there to serve people. Sabbath was made for humanity, not humanity for the Sabbath. That speaks to both stage 2 and 3. If you're stage 2, you just have to keep asking, you know, who does the rules serve? That's a good question for both stage 2 and 3. Who does the rules serve? And if the answer is, well, it's not very clear. Like if you're a parent and you got a teenage daughter and if they are asking you, why do I have to do this? You better have some good answers about how it serves them, not how it serves you. Right? Right? If, you, if the rules just end up serving the, the establishment and the ruling structures, if the answer is just, well, the Bible says so, just do it. The Bible also says slaves should obey their masters. I mean, it's not a good answer. You can't just go, well, I say so. As long as you live under this roof, you will do what I say or well, I will starve you. I mean, that's just inviting rebellion when they grow up and they will just throw out Christian faith along with it. The Bible tells us to know the reasons why you believe the things you believe. You know, who does the rules serve? And if they don't serve anyone anymore, then be willing to drop it, be soft about it. If it hurts people, slavery hurts people, be willing to drop it rather than digging in your heels and Like so many Christian theologians did. They say, this is biblical. This is God's law. So we have to do it. That's just digging in your heels. And being hard stage two about That's not listening to this passage. And if you're stage three, you need to remember. Not all rules are bad. (laughs) Rules exist to serve people. They are good things. You know, they are good things. So yeah, it's okay to ask and rebel and question. But it's exhausting to live without any rules. I mean, oh my gosh. You can't do it. Tradition helps people. It anchors people. There are good reasons for rules. And if, if they serve people, you need to be able to move ahead. And say, these are good rules. Let's follow it. Instead of just always like, oh, you know, down with the establishment. Just. Bring down everything, down with the 1%, you know, and that's just all the answer. Just break all the banks and destroy them all. (laughs) This is how revolutions happen, and and we see all the, you know, communism, the French Revolution, things don't go well when you are in that space. Right? Amen? This may be unpopular in a stage three church, too, stage three city, but stage twos, to have their place and their rationale and we need it and it's just we have to respect and remember it has its place. Yes? Right? Yeah, I I don't feel it but it's true. (laughs) (laughs) Okay? The ultimate principle is love, helping people thrive, you know, Christ died for those things. And God is there to help us. God is love. Whoever loves is of God. We need to remember these things, okay? So my final suggestion is stand against judgment and contempt. Keep it to yourself does not mean you don't ever speak up. You do speak up. This passage itself is speaking up. When it says don't be judgmental, don't be contemptuous, keep it to yourself, that's, That's pretty strong speech, don't you think? You stand up for these things. We live by conviction, but those convictions have to do with love. So if we ever see divisive policies like Jim Crow laws or slavery, racial hatred, we stand up and we speak up. But not because of some rules in the Bible, but because of our conviction in love and helping people thrive. Amen? Good. I feel that one. So, with that said, at the risk of sounding divisive, I'm going to coming out, come out of the closet and say I am against many of the policy statements put out by Trump. And, yeah. <laughs> and we are not a political church. We have never, ever, I have never mentioned anything political in all of our history. Because we have respect for both parties. We have respect for Republican and Democratic parties. And if you are a supporter of Trump, I just want to make it very clear there is room for you here. There's room for everyone in this church. No problem, right? No problem. However, Trump has made many, many specific policy statements that are very divisive and inflaming. He has labeled whole people groups. How many of you are of Latino you know, background here? the entire people group as rapists and criminals. He has inflamed racial hatred in this country. And this must be called out, not from moral point of view, but from the connection point of view, from the point of view from this passage. Because these words from national leaders matter. It reverberates down. Already, we see effects of this in elementary school, and middle school. Racial bullying is up. We see, we, we see kids yelling things like build the wall when they see Hispanic kids. That's not all right. That's, right. That's not the kind of example we can see from presidential level. Because words matter from that place. I mean, surprisingly, president has not that much power except for the nuclear codes, you know. They can just destroy the world. But if he wants to, like, uh, raise the salary of some employee, I mean, Congress has so much power as well. However, president is a, a very symbolic position. And the words really matter. And this man seems to have very little understanding of what he is saying or what the implications of his statements are. It could bring on wars. And so I find that very alarming. Coming from a Korean background, the Korean War started in 1950, and not many of you know this, but that started because the Secretary of State of America in 1949, it's a very famous statement, Atchison statement, in 1949 in a, a journal interview said that America's line of where we care is Japan and Korea is outside our line. And that statement led to North Korea deciding and Russia and China deciding America will not get involved, so let's make this war. And that is such a sad thing for me personally, with my family members. It is one of the worst tragedies It is the worst tragedy ever to strike Korea. You know, one-tenth of our country was killed. Unbelievable sadness. Words from American leaders matter. And uh, it can cause massive things. And so this is a, a very alarming thing to watch with someone who seems to have very little regard for what he says. And so, that's just my personal opinion. And uh, you can believe whatever you want. Keep it to yourself. <laughs> 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 but I want to conclude with we have a higher law to follow, the law of Christ, yeah. than morality. Yeah. We're not about morally approving or disproving. It's not our job. Mm-hmm. We live for love connection and God is here to help us living God is here to help us and that is the good news sounds good let's live for that let me pray for us God on this historic day we remember how people are so divided or can be so divided we remember what tragedies can come from different convictions And we ask now for your wisdom to come upon us and help us become transformed to be the light and the salt in this world where everybody takes their position and think they're so right. Help us to rise above this. Help us to be like Jesus, oh God. Help us to live for love and connection in our personal lives. Help us to live courageously and wisely that our words would bring healing and power. And in every heart, I pray that you would help us to gain the wisdom to rise above the stages and the cultures that we live in so that we may become like shining stars in this world. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.